I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. The Irish Times Business Podcast in association with Irish Life. Eight of the top ten Irish companies choose to do business with us. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Business Podcast. This is Wednesday, July 27th. I'm Kieran Hancock. And on this week's show, we'll have a roundup of the latest corporate and economic news of the week with members of the Irish Times business team. And later, I'll be talking to Kevin Donnelly, who heads the Irish operation of UK drinks group Britvic. Will the uncertainty caused by Brexit take the fizz out of its performance in the coming years? Don't forget, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And it's also available from our website, irishtimes.com. But we'll start with our roundup of news from the week to date. Everything from Ryanair's latest results to a setback for Norwegian in its plans to offer cheap transatlantic flights from Ireland. And the central bank's latest forecast for the Irish economy, along with the continuing difficulties being faced by the Guardian Media Group in the UK. Joining me in studio is Cliff Taylor, business editor of the Irish Times, Barry Halloran, our resident expert on all matters aviation, and Laura Slattery, who covers media and marketing for the Irish Times. Laura, you occasionally get asked to report on such worthy topics as the central bank's latest quarterly forecasts. And today you were at the... um, a briefing today and today they were, they were warning on Brexit. That's right. I mean, it was actually one of the last uh, briefings that the central bank is going is going to have, and it's uh, Dame Street premises there. They're expecting to move to their new building next year, and um, you know they were the main theme was Brexit and uncertainty about Brexit and how that's impacting on the accuracy of of their Mm. forecasts. So they did revise down their growth forecasts for this year and next year, you know, citing our our particular exposure to Brexit. But the, you know, the the, the, the add-on was, you know, we just don't know. There are downside risks to this um, because coupled with just the the, the once-off, I suppose, nature of, of the Brexit result, um, and the fact that it's going to it's going to roll on for two or three years while the UK. Yeah. I mean, they broke. They broke. You know, they they spelled it out. There are short term risks and there are long term risks, and the long term risks are, you know, the, the, that's the how long is a piece of string that depends on the outcome of the negotiations uh, between the UK and the EU, and but the short term risks are to do with this uncertainty, protracted period of uncertainty, um, some risk averse behaviour, mm. um, possibly um, impacting on consumer spending, but mainly affecting uh, exports. And of course, they highlighted yeah. the sectors that are vulnerable to. Um, to that because of their dependency on the UK, and um, so that's you know, agri agri food, it's tourism, tourism, clothing, and footwear. Uh, those were the three I okay. think that they highlighted. 
But, you know, uh, the central bank chief economist, uh, Gabriel Fagan, said, you know, well, uh, you know, forecasters always say it's a difficult time to make a forecast because of uncertainty, you know. But, but this time, it's actually true, it he said. It might actually be the case, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Cliff, you've been looking at these forecasts uh, for, for a number of, of years. Let's maybe just talk about some numbers. They're talking about GDP growth of 4.9% this year, down uh, 2%, uh, 0.2 percentage points on their previous forecast and 3.6% for next year, down 0.6% of a point. And I guess the CSO data recently, which um, showed us that told us that the economy had risen by an extraordinary 26.3% last year, has thrown a whole cloak of uncertainty uh, over these numbers. It has, and it makes it, in fairness, really difficult for bodies like the Central Bank and even the Department of Finance to have any kind of stab at what the official figures are going to show Mm. because, uh, as you know, the official figures, uh, as revised, showed that growth was over 26% in 2015. Now, nobody believes that is any kind of uh, reality of what happened or any kind of reflection of what really happened in the Irish economy. But the problem is, you know, what is and where do you you go for figures and uh, the Central Bank said in it, you know, in its best estimate that the actual level of growth, the underlying, if you like, level of growth in the domestic economy last year was around five percent, which mm. I suppose sounds about right. It's it's looking at that slowing to four percent this year and three percent next year. The main reason being the slowdown in, uh, in 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 investment and spending that Laura referred to there due to Brexit. That is the main reason that they believe the economy is going to come yeah. off the boil, if you like. But in terms of how the actual figures are going. That, that may be what happens to the economy, but in terms of the actual figures, the only, the, the only thing you can say is who, know, who knows? I mean, one of the things that were, was highlighted uh, at this uh, briefing this morning was, you know, of course, we had this dramatic revision from 7.8% GDP growth up to 263 as mentioned. But of course, that can happen in the other direction too, you know, if, if, if a couple of multinationals start behaving in a different way. Uh, and then we're looking at a really sort of uh, murky picture. Mm. Yeah, and it's, it just, I suppose just to, just to, just to add to that, it, it, it's this isn't only a matter of interest to statistical boffins. You know, we need good figures to guide the economy. We need good figures to know how we should set budget policy, what the ministers should do, and we need good figures because this is the basis of which the EU is telling us what we should do. So, and what we should pay a, into their budget, and what we should pay into their budget, and also what we should do with our own budget because they use it to judge the state yeah, of the sure. Irish economy. So it's, it's well, actually, on that theme, I mean, it's a conservative organisation at the best of times, the central bank, but mm. it, it has urged the government to adopt a, a budget policy that is cautious and prudent yeah. and uh, well you know given all of the pressures on the government to deliver on so many different um, social spending uh, issues yeah. uh, and given that the opposition want money spent on the devil and all um, do you think that their advice is going to be followed? Um I think it's going to be a really difficult budget to uh, for the government to draw up because as you say there's been so many promises made uh, in the programme for government negotiated with Fianna Fáil and the independents. The minister is not only trying to please his own backbenchers and get it past his own cabinet, he has Michael McGrath, Fianna Fáil, a load of independents looking over his shoulder that he has to, a, a significant number of which he has to keep on side. Uh, and, and and the bottom line is that on the current estimates, the, the room for manoeuvre is only a billion a billion euro, 330 on tax and 660 mm. on spending. That, in the overall scheme of things, is not going to deliver a huge amount. So I, I would have thought the central bank would be happy enough if the, if the government kept within that, uh, kept within that, you know, th- those kind of figures. They may be concerned, I, I guess, that if the tax figures start to outperform in the second half of this year, that the government might try and slip in extra bits and make the one, point, the one billion becomes 1.5 or 2 billion. Uh, or we start to see the kind of manoeuvring we saw last year with spending. So I think just a shot across the government 
government's bows. Take it easy yeah. here, guys. You're getting a big boost here from corporate tax revenue. As Laura said, those kind of things can reverse as quickly as they can appear. We just we just don't know. We need to be careful. Okay, uh, Barry Halloran, you were covering the Ryanair latest results um, this week, and Brexit was uh, very much a theme there, with Ryanair indicating that it's going to switch its focus of growth away from the UK for the time being to Europe. Yeah, and in one way, it's 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 not a bad hint to the rest of corporate Ireland because that's probably what people need to be looking at doing now. But what what Ryanair has said is, look. The UK remains a very important market for us. In fact, it's it's uh, Ryanair's biggest market, accounting for like you know sort of thirty six million odd passengers out of close to one hundred and twenty thereabouts. What what they're saying is, well, you're not going to see dramatic levels of growth from us in the United Kingdom anymore, um, because we now have to shift our focus towards Europe. Now there are a number of markets in Europe on which they've had their eye. Uh, including Germany, and alongside that, there is also Spain and Italy, which they, which uh, f- the financial chief Neil Sorhan singled out this this week for special mention to the Irish Times by pointing out that Spain is looking to drive growth in tourism, and Italy is looking at cutting a uh, tra- a two fifty ahead travel tax. Both of those things make those markets that bit more attractive for Ryanair mm. now. They're obviously big European markets. They're not leaving the EU anytime soon. Mm. So y- you can expect to see Ryanair focusing very much on areas like but that. But this now. is a matter of cutting capacity as opposed to actually cutting routes from the UK, yeah. isn't it? It is. Uh, uh, what they'll do is that they're, they're going to trim capacity on flights out of Stansted, which is their, by far and away their biggest uh, base in the United Kingdom. Um, they're not going to axe any routes, but they're going to trim capacity, which means simply less frequency and uh, less less craft on given routes out of Stansted. They haven't said which ones. Stansted uh, is obviously an, an important airport from an Irish perspective. I think um, Ryanair serves out of, uh, I think it's five or six uh, Irish airports um, from Stansted. So obviously it's a critical link for us. Mm. So we, sh- we need to be watching very carefully what they're going to do in that space yeah. as well. And they're still doing very nicely, aren't they? I mean, they grew profits by 4% to €256 million Euro in the three months to the end of June. And they've left their profit forecast for the year unchanged. Yeah, and uh, that, that was really the, the, the more significant element of the results, that the profit forecast as it stands is $1.375 billion to $1.425 billion. Uh, That's growth of around 12% on last year. Um, they're going to achieve this, if, if you like, in a number of ways. Um, first of all, they're going to grow passenger numbers by, I think, a total of 11 million uh, from year to year. And in fact, they now think that they're, they will have, they, they're going to have 1 million more passengers than they originally expected at the outset of the current financial year. So that figure has gone to 117 million from 116 million. Um, so the, the extra passenger boost a 200 million saving in fuel, various other savings are all going to sort of, are all underpinning this and and have, that's at the back of Ryanair's decision to leave its profit forecast unchanged. But again, given all the uncertainty um, and given the sort of, the, the, the way that, that Michael O'Leary was playing things down this week, the, the, you can't say for certain that the, that profit forecast will remain unchanged over the rest of the year. Right. Any word on growth out of Ireland? Um, very little directly. There's a slight, there's a threat of some slight reduction at the moment. Um, I think the key issue for for Ryanair and for a lot of airlines operating in Ireland at the moment is Dublin Airport and what's happening there. There's obviously the the new runway development. The, there's a review on, of regulation and charging at Dublin Airport underway. 
and there are also issues around congestion. They don't necessarily affect Ryanair directly, I think, but, you know, that has a knock-on effect throughout the airport. So... I think all those things, Ryanair is going to be weighing all those things as well, I think. Yeah. Now, one airline that had hoped to uh, have some growth out of Ireland this year is Norwegian, which is planning to launch uh, transatlantic flights from Cork and Shannon to the United States from April. But they've hit a few uh, speed bumps, if, uh, if, if an aircraft can hit speed bumps, indeed. Um, and the latest one being you're reporting today that uh, the European Union now wants to go into arbitration with the US authorities in relation to the licensing of this model? Yeah, well, effectively, Norwegian Air International, it's an Irish-based subsidiary of Norwegian Air Shuttle. Quite the name. Yeah. And what they are, they're an EU airline, they're a bona fide EU airline, they should benefit from EU treaties, and um, uh, they should benefit from the the EU-US Open Skies Treaty. The US has been dragging its heels on licensing it, the EU has now said, look, we think you're in breach of the treaty. We want to go to arbitration. And the, the problem with this is we really don't know how that's going to pan out because mm. this is the first time that any side has invoked uh, the arbitration system in this treaty. Uh, but what we do know is that it's going to push it out until next year. Well, so easily into next year. They're probably going to be about a year behind schedule. Br- yeah, Brussels are saying, well, we think it could take mm. eight to nine months. So starting now... Um, you're you're really bringing yourself into next spring, and right. given that the original schedule time was April, yeah, you're looking at twelve months easily. Right, turbulence was the the word I was stretching for, as uh, Laura Slattery has uh, kindly pointed out to me. Um, so uh, anyway, uh, the the word is for people uh, looking to get a cheap flight out of Cork and Shannon to the United States uh, from Norwegian, they're going to have to wait a little bit longer if indeed they ever uh, receive these flights. Yeah, I mean, th- th- there is really this is really how long is a piece of string is kind of stuff as well. I think um, it, I certainly wouldn't be rushing to book anything, and I don't. I, I mean, I doubt Norwegian is offering these flights for sale, um, and uh, you know, it, this clearly is going to run and run. It is open to the US to decide to grant Norwegian a license in the in the interim, but yeah. They're under political pressure, so it doesn't look like it's going to happen. Okay. Now, Laura, um, going back to media matters, uh, you've been reporting this week on Guardian Media, which is, uh, like like all of us, has been under pressure for a number of years in terms of making this transition from traditional print media to digital. And The Guardian has, has operated a free model basically, um, for the last uh, number of years. But now they're, they're tweaking it slightly. They're asking people to become members and to, uh, to, to actually pay up in the hope that they can bridge the gap between their lost circulation revenue and, and the kind yeah. of money they need to keep the show on the road. That's right. Well, they actually introduced the membership scheme two years ago. So this is a three-tier scheme and you can be a member for £49 a year or you can pay £149 to be, I think it's a supporter, they call it. Um, I might have that term wrong. You can be a patron. That's the highest one. I think it costs you five hundred ninety-nine. And each each of those three tiers, you know, offers you know access to events, you know, a few freebies, you know, coming, uh, you know, meet and greet with journalists. Uh, I, 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 you know, to me, that's sort of shifting the 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 core product away from the actual journalism to a lot of sort of events and and sort of things like that. I'm, I'm not really a fan of it as a model, although I do actually pay uh, uh, you know, a significant amount to access um, the Guardian's iPad edition, which is very uh, nice, has a very good function on it, and it's also a version of the edited 
product, you know, so it's 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 a digital version of the print newspaper. So that, you know, I pay almost two hundred euro a year for that. It's fifteen ninety nine a month. So I consider myself a Guardian uh, reader. I'm a fan, but the business strategy seems a little bit odd. And um, you know, you say I was reporting on it, but really this week it was the uh, Financial Times that was doing the reporting on the Guardian. They had a advanced copy of the, this week's uh, financial results um, on Monday's paper. They published. Um, the, uh, so we're looking at a loss, a pre-tax loss yeah. of 173 million pounds. Yeah, and an operating loss of 69 million, which was higher than expected. And there was a write-down in there on on an investment they'd made, but it, there wasn't really any good news there mm. in what the FT report had. And those numbers have since been confirmed uh, with the add-on. You know, the Guardian today said that we well we've gained 50,000 members. That's how many members they have. Uh, which if they're paying the £49 minimum, that would work out about £2.5 million in revenue, which is a fraction of the total revenues. It really is. And it might be at a, you know, maybe there's some patrons in there, so maybe it's a little bit more. But, the, the, you know, and, and the one thing that actually is interesting about The Guardian is, and maybe it actually goes to show how far they've come relative to other um, newspapers, news groups, I should say, um, is that they were actually hoping that their digital revenues might actually exceed their print revenues this in this uh, financial year. Now, that didn't happen um, because um, digital revenue actually fell as well as print revenue, which is not surprising that you know, it was hammered by declines in print advertising and circulation. But to even be in that position where you're to, to even hoping that your digital revenue might start to exceed your print revenue puts them ahead of a, a, a you know, ahead. But, you know, uh, mo- you know, business model wise, you could say that um, that a lot of it's uh, more print dependent uh, rivals. So it's, you know, it's not that, you know, these losses are very large, but it's, it, you know, it's still it still has some advantages that other groups don't. And it still might be able to turn them to its advantage in the in the years ahead. But 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 for me, mm. uh, membership it, it does also have substantial cash reserves, doesn't it? Which obviously it's it, well, eating it does, through. Yeah, so it's burning through those, so it has that cushion, which is which which is good. But um, but for me, you know, there's new management in the Guardian. There's a new chief executive, David Pemsel, and a new editor in chief, uh, Catherine Viner. And there's been a lot of distancing from the previous uh, regime, who you know overspent a lot of money and didn't necessarily you know future. Proof is the word we keep hearing now these in, these days in the media. Uh, they didn't necessarily future proof the Guardian, but at the same time we haven't really had the definitive break, which would be to say, well, that uh, Alan Rusbridger, the previous editor, was perhaps mm. wrong about this concept of open journalism for the open web, and that maybe yeah. we actually do need a paywall. Cliff, uh, the Irish Times has introduced a, a paywall, a bit leaky, but uh, would you be happy to be part of meet and greet events with subscribers <laughs> if required? <laughs> Only, only on a very selective basis, Kieran. I think. I mean, it is interesting. It's, uh, I suppose, newspapers are experimenting with all kinds of different models uh, to try and make money. And, and and the one thing that is clear is that there's no magic solution. There's no one right way to go. But or, or if there is, no one has found it yet. Uh, and the interesting thing about the Guardian, as Laura said, they spent a lot of money over a long period of years uh, betting, I suppose, that building up a franchise. Uh, building up a readership for the website globally, not only in Britain, would actually they'd actually be able to make money out of it. Uh, and and the twist, I suppose, that's appeared in the last few years is that 
newspapers are finding it difficult to make money out of that digital revenue because digital traffic because a lot of it's going in the direction of the Facebooks and the Googles of this world so you know the difficulty for, for, for the Guardian now is how, how do they tweak the model and, and you know it's interesting looking for membership and doing events they're, they're obviously trying to get money out of a few different areas as well as trying to build up those digital revenues and hope they come back and that shift is ongoing you know I mean it, it feels like we've been talking about Google's dominance in online advertising for a while but it hasn't you know hasn't stopped the shift hasn't stopped and what's actually happened in the last couple of years is Facebook has really you know I'm talking about Ireland now rather than the UK Facebook has really taken the share that was held by display advertising which tends to you know gravitate towards the the sort of the content publishers and it's a really incredibly difficult time if you are a news group that depends on digital advertising for revenues because that is not a healthy market right now. Yeah. Okay, on that cheery note, we shall leave it there. My thanks to Barry Halloran, Laura Slattery and to Cliff Taylor. We'll take a short break now and we'll return with Kevin Donnelly, the head of Britfig Ireland. At Irish Life, we can tell you that 49% of employees in Ireland don't think about tomorrow. They don't have a pension plan. We can help you help them. Because if you're involved in running your company's pension plan, we can administer it for you. With our member-specific investment solutions, online access for employers, trustees and members, and always-on smartphone apps. Just call one of our corporate team on 01704-1845. Visit irishlifecorporatebusiness.ie or contact your pension consultant to find out how we can help your company think of tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information source for Irish Life, September 2014. Now, welcome back. I'm joined in studio by Kevin Donnelly, the head of Brific Ireland. He has responsibility for brands such as Ballygown Water and Club Orange, while its UK parent company has a stable of well-established soft drinks, including Robinson's and My Waddy. company also bottles and sells Pepsi brands in the UK and Ireland. Um, Kevin... Let's sort of take a step back, if you like. Uh, Brific acquired this business from CNC for 249 million euro in 2017 when the economy was absolutely booming here in Ireland. Things obviously changed very rapidly uh, shortly thereafter, and the company's been through the mill somewhat uh, since then. Maybe just put into context for us today the size and scale of the Brific Ireland business. Yeah, the, the Brific Ireland business has about a quarter of the one and a half billion soft drinks market on the island. Uh, it's a long-established business, actually, Karen. in the fact that, yes, it was acquired from C&C Group by Britvic in August 2007, but the business actually goes all the way back to 1773. Uh, so it's, it's approaching uh, its 250th year um, uh, soon, uh, and it has um, deep roots in the country. The brands we have, Maiwadi and Club Balligan, they're brands that we, we, we've been brought up with. Uh, you're right in saying that, that the, the business was bought just on the cusp of the uh, economic collapse of Ireland, to, to put it that way. But we are playing the long game in Ireland. And Britvic as a company um, only became a PLC at the end of 2005. And the purchase of the soft drinks business in Ireland was their first acquisition, a part of a, an internationalization mm. strategy by Britvic PLC. But, but the dark days of the recession are behind us now, and uh, we just announced our third quarter results. Uh, they're very positive, uh, and we've now knocked in uh, five out of the last six quarters of top-line growth. All right, just go through some of the numbers for us. I mean, how many staff are employed by the group? We, we, we employ about uh, 550 people. Right. Uh, we have three principal sites, uh, two in Dublin, 
uh, our main factory in Ballyfermot, where we bottle uh, all of our brands, with the exception of Ballygown, which we extract uh, from from the ground uh, in Newcastle West and County Limerick. And then we have a central warehouse facility, uh, which is our hub of logistics, and that's in the Nanga Road in Dublin. We have a small uh, sales office in Belfast because we actually run um, the business in Ireland on an all-Ireland basis. So uh, four four, uh, facilities... Uh, three of them um, supply chain, either factories yeah. or, or, or logistics. Right, okay. Annual revenues? Annual revenues, uh, about 180 million. Okay, and they were in retreat for a while because of the recession yeah. and so forth, but what's the trend now? The trend is, is very positive. Um, five out of the last six quarters, we've knocked in top line growth. Uh, our fiscal year is from the 1st of October to the end of September. So we've just announced our third quarter results for this year. And it's been our, our best quarter since the business was acquired. Uh, our revenues uh, year on year are up on a constant currency basis by 10.6% in a market that's up about two over that period. Right. So a, a real, really strong performance and, and a market-beating one. And you were also given a boost, weren't you, when uh, Britvik, your parent company in the UK, decided that it was going to go with one water brand and that water brand that was chosen was Ballygown. So Ballygown is now exported to the UK, for example. Yes, it is. And uh, we had two uh, water brands in uh, GB uh, uh, before that, uh, a brand called Pennine Spring and a brand called Drench Water. We took a courageous decision to take those two water brands off the market and replace them with with Ballygown. Mm. So Ballygown is now the only uh, water brand uh, in Britvic PLC. It's the number one water in Ireland. This year, we're very proud of the fact that out of all of the soft drinks brands in the market, it's the fastest growing in absolute terms. Not not in percentage terms, right. but actually in terms of money through the till, and that's a Nielsen, a Nielsen number. So the brand is doing incredibly well in Ireland. It has what I would call latent awareness uh, in the GB market because it had been on the GB market for a brief period at the start of the, uh, of the noughties. Uh, but we are tapping into... Uh, and a level of awareness that allows us to, to build from there. So, yeah, we have a very modern facility in Newcastle West. It's the largest in the country. Um, it's not fully utilised. The, the brand itself uh, was relaunched from top to bottom three years ago. New packaging, and we've had a consistent marketing programme since, mm. and the brand has gone from strength to strength. Mm. And we strongly believe uh, that the brand stands for something perhaps bigger than water. It, it, it's about Irish purity. And we believe Irish Purity Bottled uh, has a right to compete um, abroad in, in, in a market that, that has Italian sophistication, um, glacial purity from France and Scandinavia. So right. it, it's kind of good to see an Irish brand out there competing uh, on, on, so on the bottled bottle water, water market. How many water are you shifting at the minute in the UK? Oh, we're, we're, we're doing, um, we've doubled that business since, since it was transitioned from the two previous brands. Double the business. Doubles the... the yeah. The water business in the UK, in the UK, your, your o- over an eighteen-month period. Right now, there are challenges ahead, Karen. The, the biggest challenge of all being exchange rate, mm. uh, and it's one of the yeah, implications that leads us of on Brexit. To Brexit about the yeah. impact of Brexit on the business. You mentioned the exchange rate; that's obviously one of them. Yeah, I mean, the, the, I mean, Brexit at a level brings uncertainty to the business environment, and that's not something that any business would welcome. Um, and I don't think any of us really believed in our hearts that the outcome. Mm. would happen 
um, there was a possibility, but perhaps we didn't believe it. So it has come, I think. Was, for it, was it a shock at group level? Would well, well no, I, I, I think we have a very open mind on these matters. But at, at the end of the day, when you've got politicians at the end of, of, of polling calling it one way and you wake up the next morning and it's another way, I think everybody was surprised. Mm. You're right. The, the, there have been some immediate implications, the weakness of Sterling. Uh, and clearly for, 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 for Ireland, not just for Britvic. And, and we have advantages because we trade in both markets. I mean, my heart goes out to Irish exporters who now suddenly find themselves 16% more expensive in the GB, GB market now compared to what they were five weeks ago. And is also, that not the case for Ballygown? Well, it, it is, and that is a challenge for us. Um, and it's something that, that, that we will need to, to work on. But, but we, are, we are playing a long game. You don't take out your two local brands in GB and replace them with, mm. with the Irish brand. And we have very strong ambition for Ballygown to internationalise that brand. So one hopes that the period of, of, of uncertainty won't be too long. Um, and we may be settling into a, an exchange rate, uh, sterling versus euro, that's just different to what it's been before. And we'll have to adjust to that. Also, the other thing that's happened, but we haven't seen it in, in, in our um, volume so far, but both in, in GB and in Ireland, there has been an audited and measured uh, erosion in consumer confidence over the last five weeks. Now, if I look at the soft drinks category, we're pretty robust. People still have to drink. Yeah. Um, it, it's one of these um, consumer staple, staples. But, but nonetheless, I think what we will see over time, and, and again, the border is the other factor, because mm. we, we manage our, our business on an all-Ireland basis, but I'm encouraged to see over the last 24 hours that, that, that there is an intent politically not to have the border as a hard border again. But, but overall, um, a weaker sterling and an erosion in consumer confidence have, have, have not been a surprise as a consequence of the, of the, of the, of the result. The result itself probably was a big surprise to everybody. Mm. I mean, we've had some good weather of late, and I presume that's good for your business. It is. We have um, what I would call, and this, how do I say this um, in an Irish context, we've quite a sun-loving portfolio. Uh, water tends to be the most responsive as a category to sunshine, and we've got the number one water brand. Mm. Uh, a brand like Club Orange does particularly well when the sun is shining, and Club Club is, is, is one of the fastest growing brands in, 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 in for example, the checkout top 50. You know, we've come from high 20s to now number 13, growing in each of the last four years. So, yeah, we, we tend to get a bigger bounce when the sun shines in Ireland than maybe some of our competitors. So we do welcome it. Right. OK. Not so good in the winter, I guess, when uh, things are a bit bleaker. Uh, now, another headwind facing the business is this uh, talk of a sugar tax. The UK have already indicated they're going to do it, or jo- George Osborne, at least former Chancellor, uh, said they're going to do it in 2018. And there's, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of push for it to happen, politically for it to happen in Ireland here as well. What impact is that going to have in your business? Well, we know very little about the detail. Uh, there is an intent in the programme uh, for government. This is in the Irish market. Yeah, mm-hmm. to, to, to bring in a sugar tax. Yes, in, in GB, of course, you're absolutely right. Two things have happened there. Um, the timing of it has been announced. Uh, it won't happen for another 18 months. And also the mechanism. So that gives uh, the it's industry... Mm. Well, it gives the industry time to do two things. Um, the practicality of changing their systems to allow them to pay it. And secondly, um, an opportunity to further reformulate. And, and that would be my big message on the sugar tax. 
because a sugar tax has been levied in a number of other countries without any real success. Uh, in Denmark, for example, it was, um, it, it was taken back uh, by, by the government after one year because it caused cross-border trade. And that would be um, something that I think the whole industry would be concerned about, the combination of, of, of a weaker sterling and a sugar tax being levied in the Republic of Ireland ahead of Northern Ireland would drive quite a wedge in pricing between the two parts of mm. the island. But um, Mexico, for example, is one of the countries that's cited as being a, a successful introduction of a sugar tax. But if you actually look at, at how much, how many, excuse me, calories have been taken out of the Mexican diet as a result, it's tiny compared to the collective impact of reformulation by the soft drinks industry in Mexico. And, and we've made um, huge strides in Ireland. And I don't make a Britvic point here, actually. I'm not making a partisan point. Um, the industry in Ireland, uh, at different rates by companies, uh, has made huge strides in reformulating. If I look at Britvic for a moment, our last seven new product introductions over two and a half years, and that, that's quite uh, a degree of productivity to bring so many launches over such a short period mm. of time, all of them, bar none, have been in the no and low sugar area because we are the number one, actually. We're number two overall, but we're the number one soft drinks uh, company in the no and low sugar area. So our position on sugar tax is, oddly enough, we can cope with it. But genuinely, based on its, uh, our experiences from other countries, it isn't going to have, we believe, any huge impact um, on calories and huge impact on obesity. And remember, and this is a UCD figure, we account for, as in we, soft drinks, 3% of the calories consumed by the Irish population. And ultimately, obesity has many, many causes. But at the heart of obesity is an equation where calories in are not matched by calories out. So it'll take the whole of society to respond. We will play our part in reformulating being the big thing. The other thing we've been doing is we've changed every label in the range, and that's no mean investment, to allow consumers at a glance to see what the calorie content and sugar levels are, thereby allowing the consumer, when they're making their decision, to make it from, from a position that's more informed. How many grams of sugar, uh, typically in Club Orange, let's say? Well, uh, full, full, full sugar Club Orange... Um, uh, you'll have to come back to me on that. I'll tell you why. Because um, Club Zero is growing fast and that's got no sugar at all. So we, we've taken the sugar levels it down. A sugar substitute? It, it, it does. It does. Um, we're using increasingly current stevia. And stevia is an interesting um, ingredient because it's natural. It's Paraguayan sweet leaf, it's called. It's 30 times sweeter than sugar. Um, it's very difficult to deal with because... Um, it, it, it has um, an aftertaste if you don't blend it correctly, so it requires huge recipe um, skill. But our, our two most successful launches in the last two years are Club Zero and My Wadi Zero, uh, neither of, uh, of which has any sugar in them at all, but taste really, really good. And that's the way the market, yeah. we believe, is going to go. Okay. Now, prior to the last budget, uh, the then Minister for Health, Leo Radker, said that a 20% tax on sugar-sweetened drinks as a way of tackling obesity would result in a 1.25% reduction in obesity or about 10,000 fewer obese adults. That's quite a figure in an Irish context. Um, it is. I'm not sure what the basis of it is um, because we, we've been studying very closely those places around the world where a sugar tax has been levied. I've mentioned a couple of them. If I go to America... 
the level of obesity in the states that have a tax is no different to those that do have a tax. Um, the, the UCD numbers are interesting because the level of obesity amongst people who drink fizzy drinks is no different to the level of obesity amongst people who don't. So I, I don't mean to contend a minister without understanding the small print of the analysis. Yeah. He has an advantage over me because we, we haven't seen what the proposal is. And is it going to be an excise duty? Is it going to be a boost in value? I mean, an excise duty, for example, has huge practical implications, not just for the soft drinks manufacturers, but also retailers. H- how does one collect it? Mm. And if you look at those other uh, product categories that are subject to excise duties, uh, beer, wines and spirits, uh, it's a controlled supply chain. Every movement um, is recorded. Soft drinks is not of that nature. So, so the one thing that could happen quite easily here, if this is not done with, 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 with care, is that we could see quite a, a, an increase in grey trade um, of soft drinks coming into the Irish market, which would mean a loss in VAT revenue and actually mm. a, a loss and in tax as well. what rate is VAT well. charged at the minute? 23%. And 23%. Because it, we, we've made two proactive proposals to... Um, uh, to government uh, over the last um, wee while um, and by we um, I- I'm talking about a number of mm. players in the industry let's take bottled water mm. um, bottled water is, is has a VAT rate of 23% mm. you go to Spain it's 5% so if one wants to discriminate between one bottle of soft drinks versus another type one with sugar and one without rather than adding a tax on to the one with sugar Surely an easier thing to do would be to take the vat off bottled water. Mm. The other thing we've made a commitment on is a voluntary commitment to take the average calories per serve of every product we sell in total down by 20% by 2020, which is a much bigger um, reduction in calories than, than you've quoted from the minister there. Right, OK. Well, one group of people who don't have to worry about obesity uh, are GA uh, inter-county footballers and uh, Britvic uh, through Energise Sport and through Ballygown is a, a, a hydration partner with Dublin GA. But I understand that uh, you've, you've now signed uh, some new deals with Cork, Kildare and Limerick. Limerick being appropriate, of course, uh, given that it's the home uh, of and Ballygown. Too. Um, and Kerry and as well. Too. Right. I mean, we, we, the one thing we try and do with our marketing investment is to keep it consistent. Um. Ballygown and GAA is a very good example. Yeah. I'll come back to it in a moment. Club and Hollywood is another example. We've had Ron Burgundy, Will Farrell, We've had Jim Carrey, Dumb and Dumber. And we've had Ben Stiller for Zoolander in each of the last three years on Club Orange. Great to see a brand that's bottled in Ballyfermot having these fantastic Hollywood stars on its label. From a GAA point of view... Um, we, we, we signed um, a three-year deal w- w- with Dublin GAA. That was at the beginning of last year. Yeah, they haven't lost a match uh, <laughs> since since they, they've switched to a combination. And you're an avid Dublin fan. So well, well, I've been supporting them for 42 joy. years. This is where you were meant to say, gosh, you must have started early. Um, but, 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 but it has been um, very, very fruitful. Um, I mean, the dubs are, are flying. But, but actually, there's a message in there too that we're encouraging people to, to lead a more active lifestyle back to the obesity about calories in versus calories out. We've extended the relationship to include a number of other counties because we wanted to start more focused. Um, and and it, is, it is something that we're hugely committed to. I mean, Ballygown gets involved in a couple of other things as well, particularly in uh, 
the corporate social responsibility area. We've had a relationship with the Marie Keating Foundation with Bally, Ballygown Pink, with the Irish Cancer Society with Ballygown Gold, and even my Wadi. You may be surprised to hear this because we don't do this for publicity. We do it because it gives something back to the community from which we, we gain resources. Um, we would have raised over the last three years with my Wadi Trick or Treat for Temple Street uh, at Halloween over half a million. Right, okay. So how much are these sponsorships worth? Let's say the Dublin one, for example. It's hard to put... Oh, I'm sure it's not. Well, 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 (laughs) as a newspaper man, um, the return is very significant, actually, because what you're doing is you're you're, you're buying into somebody else's equity. Uh, And I think what what the GAA stands for is is local, it's family, it's active lifestyles. Mm. They're all of the things that that Ballygown would stand for. Um, so if we look across the portfolio now with all these new counties signed up, what's the, what, what's the value of the sponsorship ballpark? Well, it's a bit commercially sensitive there, but it's a six-figure sum. Right. Yeah, it's a six-figure sum. But, but the more important thing is in the case of, of Dublin, which is the longest uh, established one, it's, it's three years to begin with. I mean, the one thing that we, we try and do is create long-term brand properties rather than zigzag with our marketing strategy. For example, even the average tenure of a brand manager in Britvic Ireland on a brand would be would be a lot longer than is common practice in the industry because we believe in creating okay. long-term value creation whether that's in in our in our human resource policy with, with who works on the brands all the way to having partnerships. I mean for example, we've had a partnership with the European Golf Tour since the Ryder Cup was here in 2006. Right, okay. Um, well, look, I mean, uh, looking at those uh, lineup of teams, Dublin, Cork, and Kerry certainly still involved in uh, still involved in the senior football. Uh, and you're an avid Dublin man, so it just it just it remains for me to ask you whether you think Dublin can retain Sam this year. Um, we haven't retained Sam since um, 1977. Uh, not many counties have done in recent years. So it's years, not, just about the time you started supporting. Yeah, them, it, it's yeah. not easy. Um, I'm always worried about the quarterfinal because the Leinster Championship perhaps isn't the test it once was. And it could be Cork we're playing? Or Donegal. Um, and I can remember Tyrone one year coming down on a horrible wet evening, on a Saturday evening in, in Crow Park. I think they had a lot of beards as well. They were making a statement and we were, we were, we were comprehensively beaten. So um, I think we have a hard route to the final, Kern. Donegal or Cork, then Kerry. Or, or Clare, and then probably Tyrone or Galway in the final. But, but we have the capability. We have a fantastic manager, a great squad of players, um, and perhaps the only team that can truly beat us is ourselves, actually. We have to have the attitude 110%, and we have a good chance. All right, we'll see how they get on. That's it for this week from the Irish Times Business Podcast. My thanks to Laura Slattery, Cliff Taylor, Barry Halloran and Kevin Donnelly. Declan Conlon produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. Don't forget you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today. Email at irishtimes.com. You can also follow the Irish Times Business Feed on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health 
Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.